Hey guys, it's Haley. This is episode 150. Welcome to Kindled. Today I'm talking with Natasha Crane, who is an incredible author and speaker and now podcaster um, who is uh, just so skilled and wise when it comes to biblical apologetics and helping us think clearly about the truths that scripture teaches us about God and his word and also how to teach our kids about that. We're talking about the new morality that is morality by popular consensus in this episode, which is just a topic that if you know me, if you follow me on Instagram, you know this is something that I love talking about because we are all living it and we are watching it unfold and it's just kind of crazy to behold. You know, we, uh, and I apologize for my voice, I have major allergies right now, uh, but don't worry, in the interview my voice sounds a lot more pleasant. Um, but we, we've just been beholding so much um, in, insanely arbitrary cancellations of of products and books and shoes and, you know, uh, toys. I mean, the the list is growing every day. And we are being told that these things are terrible and uh, need to be expunged from, you know, the record of history. And, and that's, that's a scary thing to watch happen as you realize that much more offensive to the world than a Dr. Seuss book is, is the truth that they are um, actually destined for hell and eternal damnation without Christ, without God. And so um, I I love talking about this topic uh, when it comes to just arbitrary morality and how we see culture kind of um, govern by, govern what is true and good and right by popular consensus. So you will really enjoy this episode uh, if you find that topic interesting. Before I get into our conversation, I want to remind you to leave a review for Kindled if you have not done that. It it truly helps the episode be found by more women who need to be encouraged and who, um, frankly, often feel alone, feel that they are the only one who maybe sees the writing on the wall of what's been going on in our world. Um, and, you know, you and I know that they're certainly not, but a lot of women are very isolated in their communities. Uh perhaps not in a biblical church. And I never want this podcast to be a replacement for involvement in real life with with Christians and believers in the body of Christ. But um, I also know that it's helpful to have a place where you can be um, intellectually stimulated and challenged to continually just put the truth before your eyes and think on these things that are um, good and true and lovely and noble and and right. So I appreciate all of your help in uh, helping this podcast be found by more women. Lastly, I just want to remind you that if you want more from Kindle than just merely listening to an episode every Monday and, uh, you know, and, and just engaging that way with the content here, I am creating a community just for you. It is my Patreon community where I release bonus episodes every Friday, host monthly live Zoom chats with um, all the women in that group, and that group is now over 50 women, which I am so just blown away by. It has been growing like crazy the last few months because um, uh, you know, I guess this is just something people really wanted and needed was a place to 
just have more in-depth conversations um, on these topics, these intellectually challenging topics that they may not have people in their real life who they're able to talk to about it. Um, And so that's what we're doing in there. I am airing new episodes on Fridays uh, where it's just me and the mic, and those are 30 minutes or less, so they are shorter than Monday's episodes. And then we are doing live Zoom calls. Uh, we're having some conversations throughout the week in that app, and it's it's all released inside the app. So when you get the Patreon app, when you sign up, it's $10 a month. You get the app. You get instant access to all of my previous episodes, which there are now about 30. And um, and then you get to engage with these women and, and with me inside that community, which is a lot more personal than Instagram or anything else. So highly encourage you to check that out if you kind of want more or maybe you've made it all the way through all of my past episodes and you're just like, I wish there was there was more for me. Well, there is. Uh, check it out at patreon.com slash kindled podcast or you can head to my website at kindledpodcast.com and learn more there. Now for my conversation with Natasha Crane. Natasha, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to listeners who may not have uh, heard of you before. Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, I have been writing a blog uh, at natashacrane.com for the last 10 years, which sounds crazy now, but it's been about a decade. And when I first started my blog, I just started it as this little Christian parenting blog where I was writing about what we were doing at home to raise our three kids who were three and under at the time when I very Mm -hmm. first started this, how we were raising them to know and love the Lord. And I started getting attacked by a lot of skeptics through my website. I started getting a lot of pushback and people who were coming along and telling me that the Bible's filled with errors and contradictions. I shouldn't be raising my kids in uh, the Christian faith because I was just indoctrinating them. There's no evidence for God's existence, all these kinds of challenges. And even though I was a lifelong Christian raised in the church and, and never had rejected my faith or anything, like that, I had no idea how to answer those kinds of Mm -hmm. challenges. And so I ended up learning about what's called apologetics, which is how you make a case for and defend the truth of the Christian faith. And as I dug more and more into these challenges and started learning more about the answers, I turned my blog into a place where I equip other Christian parents with that same understanding. And eventually I had the opportunity to write three books for parents. My kids are now 12 and 10. I have uh, twins who are 12 and uh, and a 10 year old. And I write books. I just started a podcast and I speak as well. So God has brought me on a really interesting journey from having no intention of becoming a writer or speaker to spending all of my time outside of homeschooling my kids doing this and hopefully uh, helping other parents understand how we can speak truth to our kids and to others in this really crazy culture. Mm, Yeah. Well, I find it so interesting that you had what sounds like could have been an experience today, thir- you know, 10 years ago, um, in terms of just the, the attacks or the criticism you were receiving for how you were raising your kids. Um, that sounds like it could have been, you know, last week, right? Like some of the things you were describing, I, I feel like I'm hearing more and more all the time of how Christians are, uh, you know, nationalists who are indoctrinating their children with these power dynamics and, you know, are, are obviously, all the things that culture likes to say these days about, about Christians and conservative Christians um, that really paint quite a scary picture of us, to be honest. And it's like, oh my goodness, like what is happening? Like suddenly the, the tide has shifted and the tables have turned and it seems like we're now no longer like the people who you can trust to know to be the loving, caring, you know, giving people in society, we're now being demonized. 
Um, but it's interesting because it sounds like you sort of came up against that even 10 years ago. Would you say it was similar or what was, what were the differences? Well, I think that there wasn't as much in the political realm that mm-hmm. was sort of going on with, like you're saying, the demonization that if you're a Christian who has a conservative viewpoint, that that was this horrendous thing. And, and surely this has been going on for decades to some yeah. degree, of course. Right. Uh, but when I started encountering these challenges, it was much more about you know the truth of Christianity specifically. So you know it's ridiculous to believe that God exists. Lots of atheists very vocal uh, in in kind of coming out and challenging on those things. And, you know, it's, it's harmful what Christians believe about sexuality and Mm -hmm. it's, it's terrible for women. If you believe that a pre-born baby, it has the same value as, as an adult, a human life or, you know, a, a, a human who's been born. So those kinds of things, those were the things that I was encountering more of. And what you're talking about more with the, the demonization politically, I think that so much of that really bubbled up, especially in the last year. And like I said, this has been going on for a long time, but that is really what I have seen uh, change is that it's, it's almost become, yes, well, well, okay, if you want to have these crazy beliefs, keep them in your house, right? But don't you dare bring them into the public square. And if you're going to vote for someone that we think collectively as a secular society is this horrible person, then you really need to step away. And, and now you're not just believing something crazy, but now you're a bad person too. And, and to be sure, I'm not saying that all Christians voted for Trump or anything like that. I'm just saying that that was sort of from the, the skeptic side that that was some of the change in the view that I, that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. And an important distinction that it has translated over to the political much more, which, um, which is harder. It, I, I guess it kind of enmeshes our views more into society and makes us more of a pariah on society because now we're not just teaching our kids and sending them out. We are engaging with the world and like we're in the public square in this way that now is being painted as, you know, demonic and evil and terrible. So, so yeah, that is, that is a big shift. Um, You wrote an article that, you know, just to be honest now, we've, we've spent a couple months trying to connect and it was, uh, it was closer to the time right after the election and it was about how um, there was some straw men arguments that were really being um, pushed very, very heavily that Christians who voted for Trump were uh, were all just nationalists. And really what you pointed out was that they were the, the, the accusation was being made because they held to a faith and had morals that were in line with the Bible. And it was sort of funny because you were like, these are all, you know, these are all true statements, but that, that they're not leading to the conclusion that you're making about Christians. Um, and even though I would have thought that two months later, maybe that article would seem a little bit out of date, it actually doesn't. And here we are in mid-February, and it it is still something that I think we're seeing come up in the news on a weekly and daily basis is um, both the Christian and um, even more broadly, a conservative uh, viewpoint, whether that's politically, morally, anything, uh, really being challenged as being unacceptable and and something that cannot be tolerated in the public sphere. Um, just last week, Gina Carano, you know, Disney dropped her from The Mandalorian. Uh, we had in the last month the baby influencers from Taking Care of Babies and Solly Baby both get you know skewed by the mob and had their businesses basically attempted to be destroyed and they're not even necessarily outspoken Christians. Like none of them are, they're just merely 
conservatives or have been identified as someone that donated to Trump or, you know, did something that was just this unforgivable sin. And, and so I think it's kind of made Christians go, wow, like I, what, then what would they say about me? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a nobody, I'm, I'm not uh, on TV, a TV show or in the public eye necessarily, but it's been a little bit jarring just to watch the reactions of, of the culture around at large to, to people who we would say, I'm, I would be categorized as more extreme than them. You know, what, what do you think about that? Oh, well, there's a lot there. (laughs) There's a lot we could, we could talk about, um, but maybe just starting with this whole idea of the Christian nationalism, because I see this come up so much. And what really has taken me by surprise is how many Christians have Mm -hmm. kind of bought into the idea that this is this giant problem out there. And I think that for the most part, when people talk about Christian nationalism, it is a straw man, like I was talking about in my article. So just just to make sure we're all on the same page with this, Mm -hmm. when, when people talk about Christian nationalism, per se, and they kind of paint this picture of a group of, of Christians who want to tie their beliefs to their country and kind of idolize some kind of president as their, their near savior, almost like Jesus, and that the America is this uh, you know totally different chosen country compared to the diff- rest of the world. There are people, let me just say, there are people like that out there, but it does not represent the vast majority of Christians. And so what you see is people taking images when I wrote about this on my blog and, and you could see like under the Facebook post on it, there were some people who were posting images of, uh, you know, these these Christians, or at least they, they appear to be Christians with Jesus on a flag and wrapped around their body out at the Capitol or something. And they're like, yeah, well, what about this? Okay, well, that is that's sacrilegious. That is mm-hmm. not okay. That's that is an example of this extreme ideology of Christian nationalism. And I, and I think that we should condemn that. But I think that people have taken this way too far. And they've extended that to mean that anytime you're a Christian who wants to basically vote based on your values, based on your worldview and bring those values into the public square, you are a Christian quote unquote nationalist. Mm -hmm. And these are two vastly different things. And it's so important for us to understand that because Christians can get scared away and intimidated and think, well, maybe I shouldn't bring those values into the public square. Maybe there's something wrong with this. I think that this is rooted in a misunderstanding of what it means to be a secular country. And I'm actually working on a new book right now called Faithfully Different. And it's a lot about this. But the gist of it is that if you're in a secular country, that means that there is this separation of church and state that that our country is not going to establish, right, from the Establishment Clause, First Amendment, our country is not going to establish a national church. That was never in tended to mean that people are not supposed to bring any kind of religious views into the public square. It's there, it's not possible to have this perfectly neutral secular society as some people think. Any society is going to make judgment calls about the things that are good and the things that are bad. And those are going to be based on a worldview, whether it's a, it's a completely secular worldview or if it's a biblical worldview, whatever it is, those are going to be worldview questions. Mm-hmm. And 
And so it is perfectly reasonable in a secular society for Christians to bring their values to the vote, just as it's perfectly reasonable for someone Mm -hmm. else to bring a non-biblical worldview to the vote as well. We shouldn't be trying to make over the country into, into a place where people are forced to vote as we do, but we have every right to influence public policy based on our values. So I hope that kind of, it helps people make that, that clarification because I am personally really tired of the whole Christian nationalist thing. Um, it's just, it's gotten out of control. We've had the Christian leaders, Christian writers who are in publications getting a lot of airtime for this idea. And I wrote about one of them in my post, but they just keep bringing it back. We really need to crack down on Christian nationalism. And it's like, well, what, what really are you cracking down on here? Because I see a much bigger problem with Christians not feeling like they should bring their views into the public square than Christians who are wrapping themselves with a flag that has Jesus's face on it. Right. So there, there's yes. my little soapbox, but no, I <laughs> in, was in, like that you said, we could go in a lot of different places, yeah. but I think that's a big starting point. I agree. I was, yeah, my, my head's going to fall off my neck because I was shaking my head so much. It's, it's so <laughs> true that, I mean, I heard someone say this the other day and I can't remember which podcast I was listening to. Um, oh, I know John Cooper. You might be familiar with him, the the skillet lead singer, you know, he has a podcast now and yes. is really into biblical theology and apologetics as well. And he, uh, he said, he thinks that the, the coming persecution for, for Christians is actually going to be coming from Christians on the left, not from the, the, the secular culture. And, and I don't know if he's right, but I, it made me think because I was like, you know, that's, if I look at my own life, and look at where I've received the most hate, the most pushback, the most demonization. It's from the people in my life who I would categorize as uh, liberal Christians. And I don't really mean necessarily politically liberal, but theologically liberal. And, and that often does bleed into politics. But but those who kind of say they approach things the same way that you just described from a standpoint of, I, I, all right, like, for example, I'm personally pro-life, but not politically pro-life, or I'm personally non-affirming of LGBTQ, but not politically affirm, uh, non-affirming of that. I, I don't think I should tell anyone else how to live their life. I don't think my beliefs should impact anyone else's medical decisions. I, and they, they, they're basically removing themselves from, from this conversation and from culture and society by, by choice, they're, they're literally removing themselves and saying, yeah, I, and I believe them. Cause I know these people, they're my friends, some of them, um, who go to my old church, but they would say, I really don't agree with abortion. I just really don't believe that I should vote for anyone who says someone else shouldn't be able to get one at will. And so it's truly, I, I mean, I know that they're honest when they say they don't support it, but then they've become so distorted and twisted in their understanding of how that gets applied, how their biblical worldview should impact them living in the world that they've just removed themselves. And then, you know, and, and when they become militant, not all of them, but some of them become militant about that belief. Anyone who does want to apply their biblical worldview, um, you know, to how they vote or to uh, policies they want to see enacted or, or healthcare policy, whatever it may be, you now get defined as Christian nationalist because you want to, you want to create this theocracy or something. And it's just, it's crazy, you know, how such a simple misunderstanding of, uh, of what worldview really means for us as believers in the world, how that can lead to such a huge, um, gap and distortion in, in, 
how Christians are living in the world. It's just, it's been wild for me uh, watching that unfold. Have you witnessed kind of the same thing in your sphere? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, something that that I've thought a lot about is sort of the interaction of uh, when you say, you know, liberal Christians, for example, is kind of dividing that up into there are theologically liberal Mm -hmm. Christians, there are politically liberal Christians, there are theologically conservative Christians Mm -hmm. and politically conservative Christians. Mm -hmm. And if you kind of picture it, and this is kind of hard because we're doing a podcast, so I can't give you a visual for this, but if you kind of picture them on two axes, you know, like a, where you have one line going up and down, and then you have another one that's going uh, perpendicular across it Mm -hmm. on one axis, you have the liberal versus conservative theologically, and then up and down, you have liberal versus conservative politically that gives you four different groups. So you have what we probably fit in the box uh, of politically conservative and uh, theologically conservative Christians. And by theologically conservative, I would say people who take the the Bible to be the inspired and errant word Mm -hmm. of God. And that look to the Bible as their authority because it is God's word. So that's how I would define that. So you've got people who kind of go together on that. And then you have a lot of people in the opposite quadrant who would be theologically liberal and politically liberal. And those have a very strong correlation as well. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that theologically liberal Christians tend not to see the Bible as God's word. So they're not getting their worldview necessarily from the same authority, the same place of authority as we are as theologically conservative Christians. And that makes a giant difference because it is like two entirely different worldviews. Yes, we might both believe in God. We might both believe that Jesus in some sense, at least was important and a savior, but a lot of theologically liberal Christians wouldn't even say Jesus was raised from the dead or that Jesus is the only way, most of them would not say that. And so you have, even though we have the same label, you might say, we have vastly different definitions of what that is. And so that makes sense because if you are bringing your worldview into the public square and you're not really looking to the Bible as your source of authority, then of course they're going to look a lot more like the secular world. In fact, there's very little difference most of the time in the political views of of theologically liberal Christians and uh, secular views mm-hmm. on politics. And so that's why those things go together. I think that's, for me, that's been helpful in understanding that distinction, because even if people say, yes, I'm a Christian, if we have a different source of authority, we're going to have vastly different views on politics. Now, where it gets a little bit interesting is when you get the combination of, oh, what if you have a conservative a theologically conservative Christian who's politically liberal. And in that case, for me, that's a totally different issue because I do think, and I've written another blog post about this, how growing up my family uh, was was heavily Democrat, but I would say that was different in terms mm-hmm. of <laughs> what the Democratic Party stood right. for versus today. But I can appreciate that we can have the same worldview and uh, have different ideas about how to apply mm-hmm. that right politically sometimes. And immigration, I think, is a great example of that. With immigration, you can have two people who love thy neighbor, who love immigrants, who care for them, who are concerned about them, but have different ideas about how many people should come into the country. How should we handle that? What's the best way to do that, right? And you can have a different conservative and liberal 
political perspective, even mm-hmm. with the same conservative worldview, hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can also, and you know, to be honest, I can't think of a single person that I know that fits in this category, but I think we have to hit it as the fourth one, which is someone who would be a theologically liberal Christian who's politically conservative. That's a possibility too. Uh, very rare. I, I really don't see that a yeah. lot at all. But, yeah, I don't either. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I don't mean to get overly detailed about this, but I think that thinking no, about people true. in those quadrants and how they interact is has been helpful to me when I start to see where conversations go, especially online, mm-hmm. and kind of understand where they're coming from. Yeah. So I, I hope that's helpful for some people thinking about that. How does a week of free food sound? Pretty great, right? Well, my friend Leanne at Guaranteed Foods is offering you just that when you try out the in-home risk-free trial of her company's service. For a portion of their total food bill, thousands of families throughout Mid-America are enjoying complete home food service. That's a free delivery of the finest additive-free meats, seafood, poultry, and side dishes, individually portioned, packaged to eliminate waste. Professional food economists actually provide ordering and meal planning assistance, and they help tailor their products to your family's food budget, family size, and dietary needs. There is a high likelihood that food prices are going to continue to rise this year as gas becomes more expensive, as transportation becomes more expensive for all the foods that are being shipped across the country. If you want to lock in your family's food dollar at a very reasonable rate, I would suggest you text Leanne today and check out Guaranteed Foods, exactly what they can provide to your family. She'll explain it all. She's great. She's a Christian. She's a listener of Kindled, and she is just another mom trying to feed her family healthy meals. Text my friend Leanne at 785-979-7970 and tell her Haley sent you and she will get you hooked up with all the information you need. Leanne brought me some samples of this food and it is legitimately good. Like I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying that because she's a sponsor of Kindled. I'm telling you, this is food I enjoyed eating. I loved cooking. It Having that kind of stuff in your freezer helps you eat out less, which saves you money if you're anything like me. I, if I don't have easy options, I'm going to end up eating out. And that's like the worst thing you can do. It's the most expensive way to eat, but guaranteed foods helps you not to do that. The freezer unit price is going up by 20% on April 1st. So Leanne wants you to be able to take advantage of the lower price. Now text her at 785-979-7970. Yeah, I think that is really helpful. And I, I think you made a great point. Um, there near the end when you said that someone who is theologically conservative but politically liberal is a totally different situation than than um, you know than someone who is both liberal on on theology and politics because and I mean even within that there's another distinction to make those who would say uh, they're theo- theologically liberal and politically liberal who would say either it's okay for you to differ from me. Or it's not because now that's I, th- I think that's the that's the place that um, a lot of us are are seeing for the first time maybe that wow it's no longer like hey we just we disagree on how to enact this policy or we disagree on immigration or we disagree on uh, public health care policy or whatever um, now it's like yeah we disagree and you're you you are objectively wrong and your point of view is unacceptable. And so that's even a different thing than we've seen before where, you know, we could disagree all day long, but still come to the table and say, hey, we're still friends. Um, 
I mean, my husband and I were canceled this year by some of our best friends from college who uh, we've known for over a decade and they've known we're Christians. Like nothing about our worldview has changed in those 10 years, but because we were not LGBTQ affirming just this fall, they decided that was no longer okay. You know, because, because it was our personal standpoint, personal view, even though we weren't going around telling them you can't be gay or you shouldn't be, you know, we, we weren't even pushing that on them. We, they just knew that we believed it and it became no longer acceptable. And an entire group of people canceled us. And, and we're literally, I mean, unfriend, uninvited, you're, you're out of the text group. You are literally shunned. Like we will never speak to them again. And, uh, and that was just like, so mind blowing for me at the time, because I was like, I don't understand what changed. Like we've, you knew that we were Christians. You used to say you were Christian. Now you don't, but there's just, it, it was so, um, you know, kind of jarring and unsettling and, and sad, honestly, to see that change. Um, what do you think, like, what, what caused this? Like, I can no longer even, uh, you know, I, I, I can no longer even talk to people who, who hold your worldview. Cause that's kind of the extreme, right? I mean, not everyone is doing that, but that is sort of like what we are now seeing is, is the extreme case scenario and, and maybe worst case scenario that we're all afraid is going to happen to us either on a personal level or in a public sphere level where it's like, Hey, you can't attend this school or, you know, whatever it may be. Is there anything that you've noticed that like, what is it that, that caused this, uh, this change in how we are being treated as conservative Christians? Well, that, there, there are lots of book length treatments on that kind of thing. I mean, in, in terms of what caused it, this is the culmination of a lot. But I think, uh, you know, one thing that that I keep coming back to, because like I said, I've been thinking so much about what it means to be secular country and how that affects us and things like that. But I think that when you see a culture over the last, say, 30 years that just is rapidly losing a belief in God, and especially in the Bible in particular, what you end up with is a whole country of people who are kind of swimming around without uh, any kind of authority for their lives anymore, if you, if you want to say it that way. So it goes back to that, that question earlier that I mentioned about where does your authority come from in your worldview? Is your authority coming from God through the Bible because you believe that that's where he has revealed his will for you and who you are, your purpose, your objectives, all of these things? Is that your authority? Or it, maybe it's another holy book. Maybe your authority comes from the Book of Mormon, for example. Mormons and Christians in a lot of ways have a lot of commonalities on that, that we are getting our authority from a specific book that we believe to be holy scripture. But outside of that, if you don't look to some kind of revelation from God as the authority for your life, then the authority is you. It mm -hmm. comes back to self-authority. And that yeah. is the battle we're seeing today is self-authority versus authority from revelation. And I think that when you start losing the authority from revelation in our culture over the last few decades, and you end up with more and more people looking to themselves, you start to have this feeling of, okay, well, what is moral? Because as Christians, we can look at that and we can say, well, God has given us this moral compass. We know that from the Bible, that we all have that sense of objective right and wrong. And so people long for that and people have a sense of it, but when it comes down to themselves, they're kind of lost and they don't have that guidance anymore. And when they do, people start looking for a replacement. And even though the replacement is technically themselves, it feels a lot better and it feels a lot more comfortable 
to look around and grab other people. And now we're going to have some group thing going on. And now we're going to say, okay, well, we're going to form morality. We're not going to just say there is no morality because we don't want to say it's okay, for example, to kill people. So we're going to form our own new morality. Mm -hmm. And really that's what you're seeing today. And I think that's why we've gotten to this place of it's almost like a new objective morality, even though you cannot without God have objective morality, a basis of saying that everything is right or wrong for all people. The secular culture is now instituting that for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's why you get this virtue signaling and you get this cancel culture because it is the imposition of the new wave of morality that comes from groups of selves who are governing themselves and basically coming to popular consensus on what is right and wrong. And so that's now God. That Mm -hmm. that's functioning as God in our culture, which also makes that group feel like it's okay as God, a God substitute to come along and say, you're wrong. You're out. We're canceling you and to feel okay about it. Yeah, that's so true. It's a new religion and it is, uh, it is a merciless, a merciless God really, because I mean, there is no forgiveness. There is no satiating. There is no amount of. Uh, apologies you can make as we've seen from the the multiple you know conservatives who have done their videos written their letters said i'm sorry uh you can't even say i'm sorry right because now you're centering it on white women's feelings and you know and your your white tears are oppressive and it's just it's crazy you there's really no satiating the woke um as daryl and virgil always say but um but what do we do with that as as Christians who are you know continuing to to believe what we believe and now have been categorized as the other um, it, by this secular you know secular culture that you've described in the nation that we we now find ourselves in how do we like how do we move forward I mean uh, part of me thinks it's just you know it's the same old and and we're really just going to continue to see um, more and more persecution. And then another part of me is like, well, no, how can we engage and, and how do we, is there a way to change the narrative and to communicate with people who, who literally hate you? I don't know. I mean, I would love to know if there is, I just am, I, I'm not seeing a way forward in terms of that because it, it just looks like that, that, that ship has sailed in some ways. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the first step is just getting back to the root of making sure more Christians are actually really grounded in their worldview. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when I see some well-meaning Christians try to engage online, it comes from, like I said, it comes from a well-meaning place, but it's very misdirected because they don't necessarily understand their own faith all of that well. And, mm-hmm. and you can tell. And so I, I think that, you know, I just as that starting point that, and of course, I'm going to say this because I'm an apologist, but apologetics is especially important today for people to understand the evidence for the truth of Christianity. Because if you don't understand that and you don't understand where other people are coming from and how to respond, then all you're doing is fighting over ideas in the public sphere without being able to tie that to why there's good reason to believe your worldview is actually right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's just the the most important starting place is helping more Christians to really understand that and for Christians themselves to take it seriously. Read your Bible so you understand what the Bible actually says. So it's getting this theologically right. It's also getting it uh, understanding why why there's good reason to believe it's true. And the other reason for that is that if you don't really 
understand why there's a good reason to believe Christianity is true, you are not going to stick your neck out there and have those conversations. So when you're saying, how do we go about having those conversations? You're, you have to remember, you're in a tiny percent of people of Christians today who want to have those conversations, who even have the desire. The vast majority of Christians don't really have the desire. They'd rather stay quiet. They'd rather not cause any waves. They don't want to get out there. And I would say that a major reason for that is because they don't know and they're not confident in their own faith that they understand that they could answer some tough questions about it. And they don't understand also what, how you go about doing something with your faith. Like we were talking about earlier, is it okay for me to share my opinion, that kind of thing. So I think that for Christians to get solid, first of all, and to know that number one, that Christianity is true. And number two, it is okay. And not just okay, but it is what we are called to do to be salt and light in this world by stepping out into the public square. That is huge. And honestly, I think that is 95% of the battle. The last little bit of, well, how do you actually go about it? Those are technicalities, honestly. So if we had, if we had that 95% of the battle won where all Christians out there were just biblically centered, they knew God's word, they, they relied on it as a truth for their lives. They understood why there's good evidence for the truth of it. And they knew they were supposed to step out. If we got all the way there, then yeah, we, we could step out just fine. So I, I think that we have to really keep the bigger picture there. And just, you know, for, for a brief moment to address when you mm-hmm. actually step out, there are people who are just so far down the line of wokeness. And, and I have a, a personal, I would say more of an acquaintance that mm-hmm. is a Facebook friend that sometimes we, my husband and I engage with sometimes you cannot talk with people and and that's okay. You can't expect that if I'm going to now be brave and I'm going to step out of my Christian Mm -hmm. faith and I'm going to have some of these conversations, you can't expect they're all going to go well. And you can't get discouraged if you end up talking to somebody who is so woke um, that, you know, this week, this, this acquaintance of mine, she basically posted this controversial article. And then when we challenged a little bit and really not even challenged, but asked questions, she's like, you're crossing my boundaries. Mm, You're overstepping boundaries here. And it's like, so your boundaries are as far as someone brings a different viewpoint, right? So there are some people that you can't engage with. That's okay. So I encourage anyone who is listening to this to not get frustrated by the one or two people who you might have engaged with and gotten shut down by. There are plenty of other people to have reasonable conversations with and don't, don't give up just because you've had a couple of bad experiences. That is a really good point. I think that we can color, all people with, uh, you know, within um, the other side, whatever that is in any situation, we can color them all as extremists or as unwilling to hear anything we have to say, or to even consider us to be, you know, loving people. And that's, although that is what you see in the media, because that's what makes headlines, because that's what sells ads. That's really not most people. Uh, I don't think that everyone is as extreme as, you know, Disney canceling Gina Carano. I don't think that's where your, your average, you know, sister-in-law or brother or friend at work or whatever is. I I think that um, often what's lost in those types of stories is the the fact that there's like, there, there's a personal relationship here that's been built. And it is, there are the people who will take that personal relationship like we had, who will throw it down the, the garbage disposal and say, see ya. But then there's a lot of other people in my life who I, they know my stance, they do disagree with me. And yet they're still willing to have conversations with me. They're still willing to say, look, I love you. And I care about you more than I care about our disagreement. And, and I'm not going to 
you know, ostracize you or cancel you or, or say anything mean about you online just because we disagree. So I, I do think that's really good encouragement and reminder, especially in such an extreme environment where we are seeing the worst of the worst, you know, of course that's what bubbles up and that's what gets airtime, but, um, but not every single interaction is actually going to look like that. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, how, how do we, uh, as you know, as you said, we, we need to be rooted firmly in scripture ourselves, but then helping our kids be prepared for this. Like that's another, I know a whole nother podcast episode. Um, what are some words of advice? I know you are a homeschool mom and you are doing this day in and day out with your kids, but how can we help our kids learn uh, about the, the world that they're going to be inheriting the, you know, barring some major shift in, in direction of where the ship is headed. Like we know that they're going to be in even more of a, um, an opposing culture to, to them than we were at their age growing up and coming out of high school. You know, I remember just thinking like I was an anomaly on a public college campus. I can't imagine what that would be like for my girls in 10 to 15 years, how do we even begin to prepare them? And, and what are, you know, what are the things that you kind of go back to when you feel overwhelmed? Yeah, well, it is going to be a tough world for them. And I think that what parents need to know more than anything is that going to church every Sunday and not every family even does that, but going to church is not going to prepare your kids for the world. Mm -hmm. You know, most, most churches uh, for, you know, Sunday school program, you get a nice Sunday school lesson, you get some treats, you play some games and and that's, that's what it is. That is not in any way, shape or form going to prepare your kids for today's world. And nor should we have ever depended on church. So this isn't like a new thing. Like in the past, it was okay to just send your kids to church and now it's not. No, we are called to be the primary disciplers of our kids. And so that responsibility should all have always have been on us. But in today's world, especially this is, it takes on a new level of urgency. Yes. It's important for our kids to be at church, just as it's important for us as adults to be at church, but they need training for the world they're going to encounter at home. And that's really why I write the books that I do, because parents cannot train their kids. If they are not trained themselves, we can't give them what we don't have. Mm -hmm. Right. So my books are written to equip parents with an understanding of number one, what the key faith challenges are today that their kids are going to encounter. And number two, how to approach those questions with their kids in Mm -hmm. sort of an easy to understand way. The chapters are like four or five pages each. And so there are a hundred conversations that I cover across the three books, but any of those books will get you started in just thinking about what are the questions my kids will encounter today? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because what I learned early on when I started encountering challenges and started writing about them is that parents not only don't know the answers, they don't even know the questions. And so if we don't even know what our kids are encountering in the first place, we're not training them. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I say is to have a sense of urgency, because if anything in life is important to our kids as parents, we love them dearly and we want to take care of them and, and prepare them, then we should be doing this with our kids. And number two, getting equipped ourselves. There are so many podcasts out there and, and, and videos and books, get equipped yourself and then make the time to be intentional mm-hmm. in your home. You don't have to be a homeschooler. I was not a homeschooler until this fall. We had planned this before the pandemic. So this wasn't pandemic homeschooling or anything like that. Um, my kids have been in private Christian school before that. 
So I understand it's not always easy to work things in, but you, when you're equipped and when you take the time to understand what's going on out there, then you see the opportunities all the time. The one good thing about crazy culture is that there literally is an example every five minutes or less Mm -hmm. of something you can bring to your kids and say, Hey, I saw this online today. What do you guys think about this? And talking about it from a biblical perspective. And so that's, uh, I think that that's the key is to just that intentionality and Mm -hmm. being educated yourself. It's not enough to just sit down, you know, once a week and say, Hey guys, let's talk about something. It's gotta be a way of life. Yeah. I love that. And what you said about, you can't, you can't give them kind of what you don't have yourself. I think that is really the key. And some of us might be a little more intellectually bent towards, we, we like learning about things and others of us, it may be a struggle. It may be something we actually have to commit and discipline ourselves to actually spend time learning, like what, you know, reading your books first for ourselves and then, and then being able to have those conversations with our kids or, or brushing up on articles and, and, and thinking through them ourselves with scripture in front of us. I mean, I really think, like you said, church is not enough. I don't think it ever has been, but it it's just becoming that much more obvious today that look, it never was. And in some ways that's a blessing that God is giving us you know, an, a, a critical time where we actually really need his word. It's not just, oh yeah, I, I have my Bible on the shelf and I live in a, a country with religious freedoms, so I can read it any old time. It's like that that's changing. And so now it's, it's more of a sense of urgency. And I, I hope that parents listening will really be encouraged that look, there are resources and there are people who have gone before you who are here to kind of point the way like you. And, and I think that's just really encouraging. Um, what would you say to the women listening who maybe uh, have some fear or anxiety or concern about the days ahead? Just, um, you know, I know you're not a soothsayer. You don't know the future, but um, <laughs> what do you, what do you think uh, about for yourself when, when you, uh, you know, see some of the stuff that's happening out in culture with the way Christians are being painted? And I know you have like your ear to the ground in a sense, like what, what would be your encouragement to them? Well, I think, you know, it's not, I think it sounds a little bit trite sometimes to say, because sometimes just people just throw this out, but mm-hmm. we, we do know how the story ends mm-hmm. as Christians. We, we do know how the story ends, that the battle has already been fought and it has been won and we know that God wins. So in one sense, you know, we have to keep the big picture in mind. It's not up to us. We don't have to feel like it's all on our shoulders that, oh my gosh, this thing could go one way or another. You know, I, I don't know how this is going to end. And I think sometimes we start feeling that way because we're fighting, 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 but we're fighting for maybe the wrong reason or with the Mm -hmm. wrong goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that my encouragement to people would be to just think of it that you're, you're fighting alongside of God who's already won. Mm -hmm. And when you think of it from that perspective and that, you know, it doesn't all rest on you, that you are indeed called to participate in this. Don't get me wrong. We're not supposed to sit back and say, well, Jesus has already won, but we're called to participate. We're called to fight alongside God. That is, that is an honor. That is something that is, is a wonderful, thing that we should want. So from that perspective, you know, the big, big picture perspective, we should feel confident in that. I think where it's easy to get maybe lost is when we're fearful about the immediate future, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think 
think most of the time when people are feeling that fear and they're concerned, they're feeling about, well, in my specific life and for my specific kids and in that kind of thing. And I think that part of that is prayer. We sometimes get away from prayer and I'm just about as guilty of this as anyone. And I realize, you know, when we start depending on ourselves and we forget that we need to take this back to God, then we do get, we do get lost in this cycle of fear and concern. So getting back to prayer and, and really staying in God's word are just so extremely important for us as we fight this battle so that we're not out there feeling like we're somehow uh, doing this on our mm-hmm. own because we're not. And we just have to keep bringing it back to God, I think. And it's not, it's not something that we should feel fearful about, but it is okay to feel concerned. It's okay to feel concerned for our country, for example. It's okay to feel concerned about the types of policies that we have. It's okay to feel concerned that there are millions of babies that are being aborted. It's not just okay, but it is what God's heart is too. So sometimes, you know, I think we want to cover it up and be like, well, I don't want to feel any sadness. I don't want to feel any of this, but we should be feeling that if we have a godly conviction about things. So concern and and genuine care for our country's direction and what's happening, those are actually good things. Those are, those are godly things. What is not godly is some kind of fear and anxiety that we don't know how this is all going to turn out. And that relies on ourself rather than relying on God through prayer and the Bible. Yeah, that's great. I think that's so important to keep it at the the big picture, but also realize in the particulars, it doesn't mean it's wrong for you to care, but not to be over overcome by those worries because Jesus told us he has overcome the world. So we don't have to live our lives that way. Um, wrapping up, I know you have a new podcast that is, uh, that is something new that you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's something women listening will really appreciate the resources you're going to bring to that space. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, so yes, I've been writing for the last several years, but a lot of people started asking for some kind of podcast because it's just hard for some people to sit down and read. And so I just started my podcast last month. I've done a grand total of three episodes. I'm going to record a fourth one tonight, Uh, but really it's just about faith and family in a secular world. What does that look like? I'll be talking about apologetics. Uh, In my first episode, I talked about America's downward spiral, excuse me, America's downward spiral. What do you say to your kids? For example, Mm-hmm. Um, and another episode, I talked about how to teach your kids non-Christian worldviews. How do you go about talking about other things like Buddhism and, and Hinduism and all the different worldviews that we see out there? How do you uh, explain that to your kids and look at it from a biblical perspective? So I'm hoping that this will be a good resource for parents who maybe don't read as much, but are interested in listening. Yeah, that's excellent. And then of course, as you mentioned, you do have um, several great books for people to check out. I can link to your website in the show notes so they can find all of that. But um, yeah, I need to, I, I need to really get, I think, get brushed up on my conversations. I have six, four and a half and a 15 month old. So just at the beginning of kind of being able to discuss these things, but even I've been surprised just, um, you know, with this, with this year being able to, we've actually been able to have some pretty deep conversations with, especially the six-year-old and she understands a lot. So I think sometimes we just don't give our kids credit for their capacity to get it and to understand what's going on. And, um, you know, especially if we have been raising them with the Bible, I mean, it's amazing when, when you say something and they're like, does that sound right? Does that sound like what God's word said? There's just like this, like visceral, like, no, that's not it. You know, and it's really fun to see (laughs) 
some of the, the things that we've been pouring in actually start to bubble up inside of them as they are faced with these questions. So um, I, I, I enjoy doing that. And I am, I'm thankful that there's people like you who have kind of come before and given us a little bit of a roadmap for that. So thank you. Um, where can people connect with you online? Uh, so my website is Natasha Crane and it's spelled C-R-A-I-N, not like the bird. <laughs> natashacrane.com and I have everything at the site. My blog is there and you can get links to my podcast and books. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Natasha. I really appreciate your encouragement to listeners and I know that they're going to find this conversation helpful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking to you. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Come find me on Instagram at hayleywilliams.kindle to say hi and share this episode with a friend if you found it helpful and encouraging. I hope you have a great week and an even better weekend this weekend as we celebrate and remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is our reason for hope. I'll see you next Monday.